Support for this program is provided by Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. The major UN climate change conference has been underway in Glasgow since Sunday. So far, we've seen a series of new pledges, including international efforts around deforestation and methane, and notable new commitments from individual countries like India. But big questions remain. Do they actually have the political policies, the government policies, and the market uh, trajectory in place to make those pledges come to life? Today, we check in with my colleague, Zach Coleman, on the ground in Glasgow, about where things stand now as world leaders depart and as the real negotiations get underway. It's Thursday, November 4th. So, Zach, where do we find you right now? So I'm in Glasgow here at the COP. I am in this kind of makeshift tent for media that is a basic trademark of cop conferences. It's cold in here. Like, I'm wearing my jacket, like my coat, to just do my job. (laughs) This is not like a real structure. Man, oh man. So you're covering a cop, which has been underway since last weekend. The world leader portion of the conference is now over. What were your big takeaways from those first few days? You definitely saw a upward trajectory in terms of where leaders want to take climate change. I mean, they want to really double down on these climate commitments. And it's kind of an impressive thing to see that we've moved from signing the Paris Agreement to X amount of global emissions covered by net zero policies. The question is, do they actually have the political policies, the government policies, and the market uh, trajectory in place to make those pledges come to life? So all of these commitments at this point are voluntary, but we have seen some significant new ones. I'm thinking particularly out of India, right? Yeah, India was one of the bigger surprises here. They committed to carbon neutrality by 2070, which does not really align with the whole carbon neutrality by 2050 kick that the world and this COP is on. However, a good number of people have pointed out that with some of the near-term targets that India laid out, that it would actually make achieving net zero much earlier than 2070 much easier. So in a way, they're being a little conservative. So to have that kind of buy-in from India is important given it is the third largest emitter in the world. Got it. And and there was a big deforestation pledge as well, no? Yeah, there's been a lot of pledges. I mean, big deforestation pledge. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that even Brazil committed to ending illegal deforestation by 2028. Now, is that really a legitimate claim? Like Bolsonaro has seen enormous deforestation under his watch and he's facing tough re-election. So take that with a grain of salt. There's also been over 100 countries now in this methane pledge to curb methane emissions 30% across the economy. There's a lot of pledges. A lot of, lot of, lot of pledges. Got it. So that's all what's been going on at the podium. But at most conferences, the really interesting stuff is what's happening on the sidelines. You've reported that this go around, the buzz has been all about carbon border taxes. So for starters, what is a carbon border tax? A carbon border tax is a policy designed to penalize dirtier imports from countries that do not have strict climate policies. If you don't face the same environmental rules as the country you are exporting to, then you should expect to pay a penalty at the border. It's really designed to level the playing field for domestic industries and countries that have really gone above and beyond on climate change. And the EU had for months been teasing that it's going to introduce what's known as its carbon border adjustment mechanism. In July, it actually floated out that draft. The Biden administration had asked EU to kind of slow it down 
But then, you know, the White House got to work on its own proposal, helping Senator Chris Coons draft his own carbon border tax, which is sitting in the U.S. legislature right now, is not been moving. But, you know, there there is a big conversation globally about what is this new trade regime going to look like with climate at the center of it. Okay, so separately this week, there's also some news coming out of the private sector at the COP. What is going on with the financial sector? Yeah, so the financial sector is making a whole host of commitments. There was a an umbrella group called the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero that has members that account for $130 trillion in assets under management, and they are trying to get to net zero by 2050. So that was a, a huge announcement to have that many members on board. The basic idea here is to bring the private sector to finance this clean transition because we know that there just isn't enough money in the public sector to do it. So this is potentially game changing, but there are not very well understood methodologies underpinning a lot of these voluntary commitments. These are not regulations. These are just voluntary commitments. So I think there are a lot of questions out there that still need to be answered about how this is all going to look, what even net zero means, how banks and other financial institutions are going to use things like carbon credits to reach their goals. There are sort of guidelines and statements that these alliances have made about how those net zero goals are defined and how offsets are going to be used. But all this stuff is kind of in flux. So we're not really certain yet. Also on Wednesday, Republican senators announced a framework to cut global greenhouse gas emissions 40 percent by 2050 compared to the current levels. The move represents a notable shift for Republicans, who have largely avoided setting specific emissions reduction targets. But it's far less ambitious than President Biden's climate goals and the net zero pledges that many world leaders are now calling for. At the core of the GOP plan is expansion of natural gas and nuclear power in the United States, along with the deployment of carbon capture and sequestration technology. At the same time, it also includes support for the development of a domestic manufacturing base for the renewable energy sector in an effort to lessen American dependence on China. The Republican framework comes as Democrats prepare to vote soon on their reconciliation bill, which includes major investments in the U.S. clean energy sector. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com morningenergy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lowercarbon.